Well, let's read the Bible together now in James 1, 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. G'day everyone. I hope you've had a great week. And it's, it's been a week where we've had some good news here in Australia, hasn't it? It seems like it's very early days, but this week we've had news that maybe the curve is starting to flatten a little bit and there's a long way to go. But it seems like this strategy of social distancing and isolation is at last beginning to work. In fact, have you noticed a slight shift in Australian culture over the last six weeks? Uh, for, for decades now, we have been really into rugged, individual, rugged individualism. No one is allowed to tell me what to do. And in fact, a lot of our biggest social debates over the last 10 years have been based around individual freedoms. But all of a sudden, we're all about taking away individual freedoms, aren't we? And people who are expressing their freedom by breaking the social isolation thing, they're being shamed, aren't they? Have you, have you seen on TV those, TV, those shows and stories where people have been shamed for breaking the social isolation rules, the, the weddings that people have been going to and just flaunting the rules and, and the cafes and those kinds of things where people are standing too close together. There's been this real sense of shaming, isn't there? The, people's faces are having to be pixelated. And Do you actually feel just a little bit smug when you watch those shows? Do you feel just a, a little bit superior because you know, they're, they're committing a crime that you're not committing? We love that sense, don't we? We love watching other people get in trouble for committing a crime that we don't commit. So, you know, when you're, when you're watching those TV shows and they'll talk about all of the perils of smoking, you know, smoking does this kind of damage and it costs the, the economy this much money every year and you sit there and you think, well, I've never smoked a day in my life. I'm fine with this. Or, you, or the shows that, that talk about the dangers of not exercising and eating poorly and you sit there and you think, well, I run a marathon every week and I'm a vegan, so obviously I'm a better person than they are. We kind of, we love that sense that I am not guilty of the thing that someone else is being, getting in trouble for here. And you know, I'm, that's kind of how I feel when I read James chapter 1, verse 13. 
because James warns us of a sin that I'll be honest, I have never been tempted to commit. Have a look at James chapter 1, verse 13. James says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, I have never been inclined to blame God for tempting me. One, I know that it's Satan's job. Satan is the one who tempts me. And two, I've known that I'm the one who's likely to sin. And three, I've always known that God doesn't want me to sin. And so when I read James chapter 1, verse 13, I'm kind of tempted to sit back and go, well, you know, that's clearly something that I don't have a problem with. I can read on to the next bit. Or do I? You see, God never warns us about anything without reason. God always warns us with very good reasons. And God actually knows me better than I know myself. And in fact, I've come to realize that verse 13 is something that I am inclined to do all the time. I do verse 13 a lot. You see, the key is to realize that that word for tempt in verse 13 is actually the same word as in verse 2 for trials. So take a look in verse 2. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And James is talking about all the trials, all the, difficult, all the difficulties and hardships that we have in life. And it can be sickness, it can be suffering, it can be loneliness, it can be persecution. James is talking about all of these trials. And when I go through trials in my life, well, then I am actually tempted to blame God for them. When things have been really hard for you, when you've gone through what you'd call a trial, a really difficult time in life, have you been tempted to blame God for it? Have you found yourself saying things like, God, you're doing this to me. God, you don't love me. Or if you love me, you certainly wouldn't be doing this. God, do you, do you just not care? God, have you given up on me? Come on, God, get your act together. Why would I bother worshipping a God that makes my life miserable? Have you ever said those kinds of things to God during a hard time? I have. There was a time before our oldest child came along where we were trying to have kids and, and it just wasn't happening. And it kind of went for five years or so. And I remember going for walks through the back streets of Birmingham Gardens and just raging at God and saying, God, this is all your fault. In fact, God, if I sin here, it's your fault because God, you have put me in this position. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, God, you put me in this position. God, you have left me with no other course but to sin. If you didn't want me to commit this sin, God, you should not have put me in this position. God, the only, God you're the one who made me struggle financially. And so, God, it's your fault that I've lied on my taxes. God, you're the one who made me lonely. You're the one who took away my, my relationships and so it's your fault, God, if I go and become sexually immoral. God, you're the one who sent that person to hurt me. If you didn't want me to hurt them back, you shouldn't have put that person in my life to hurt me in the first place. God, you sent the trial, and so it's your fault that I have sinned. That is what James is talking about here. Turning trials into a reason to blame God and into a reason to actually sin. It's kind of the opposite 
of verse 2. In verse 2, James says we should see trials as a cause for joy because God's going to use them to mature us. But in verse 13, I see trials as a cause to blame God because he is leading me into sin. And you know, this is something I have done. I can't feel superior to anyone else. In fact, I've even noticed that I can use COVID-19 as a reason for me to rebel against God. Look, it's, it's a hard time. We're all under pressure. God's put us in this. You know, is it, is it such a bad thing? Isn't it justifiable if I maybe drink a little bit more than I should? If I wasn't under so much pressure, maybe I'd be more patient than I am. But the reason I'm so impatient with people is because God has put us in this time. Now, James says, this is, this is what James is warning us about. And what James says is, when I do this, I haven't understood the nature of sin and I also haven't understood the nature of God. They're the two big things he really wants us to grapple with, the nature of sin and the nature of God. Let's start with the nature of sin. In verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You see, the cause of my sin is not God. The cause of my sin is me. I have evil desires in my heart. Jesus actually talked about this, didn't he? In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I don't need God to lead me to sin. I've actually got sin inside my heart. James says that these evil desires in my heart, they drag me away and they entice me. And the image that he's using there is of a fishing lure, a fishing lure that runs through the water and the fish is enticed by it. That's what my sin does. It lures me on, but it's not someone else's sin. It's not something outside me. This is something in my own heart. So the sin is mine. And so are the consequences. In verse 15, James introduces a different image, a birth image. He says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, give birth to death. These desires in my heart, they give birth to sin, and sin grows up to death. We know that sin leads to death in Genesis chapter 3. That is the sin, the true nature of sin, is that it's mine, not God's. Really what James is doing here in James chapter 1 is he's giving us two pathways. The pathway we want to take in trials and the pathway we don't want to take in trials. The pathway we want to take in trials is verse 2, where the trial leads to joy and perseverance and maturity. The pathway we don't want to take is where the trial leads to blaming and to sin and to death. And James is saying, which of those two paths do you want to take in the midst of trials? A right understanding of sin points the finger at me, not God. So that's a right understanding of sin. What about a right understanding of God? Well, in this passage, James gives us five huge things about God. 
We'll run through them fairly quickly. Have a look in verse 13. The first thing we see about God is that unlike me, God is not evil. Verse 13, for God cannot be tempted by evil. God is entirely good. God is entirely pure. Unlike me, God does not have sin in his heart. God is never mean towards me. God is never cold or callous towards anybody. God is entirely and perfectly good. That's the first thing. God is, unlike me, God is not sinful. God is good. The second thing is God does not tempt. So verse 13, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now that bit's actually a little bit tricky, isn't it? Because again, it's the word for trials. God does not send a trial to anyone, but we've actually seen up in verse 2 that God does send trials. He uses them to mature us and help us to persevere. And in fact, that's the key. What James means here is God never sends us situations in which he wants us to fail. Satan does that, doesn't he? When you see Satan tempting Jesus, he takes him out into the wilderness and he tempts him by placing before Jesus, say, all of the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, I can give them to you if only you'll worship me. And you know that Satan wants Jesus to fail there. And when Satan sends tests and temptations to us, he wants us to fail. He wants us to walk away from God. He wants us to worship him. Satan is cheering us on to fail. James says God is the exact opposite. We've seen what God, the trials that God sends up in verse 2. He doesn't send the trials so that we'll fail. God sends trials so that we will persevere, so that we will mature. And what James is saying here is, God, do not believe that God is like Satan. Do not believe that God wants you to fail. God only ever sends the trial to lead you to maturity. He sends the trial because he wants you to become more like Jesus. And in fact, the third thing he gives us is, that God only ever gives good and perfect gifts. So look in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. He says, look at the character of God. Look at what God is like. Our God is the perfect good gift giver. Now, this is, for me, this is, it's just the best possible description of God. You know the five love languages? We all want to be loved in different ways. For some of us, we want to be loved by touch, physical touch. Not allowed to do that anymore. Some of us love to be um, loved by words of affirmation. For some of us, it's time together. For some of us, it's acts of service. For some of us, we love gifts. And I am 100% the gift person. I discovered how much I'm all about gifts on the day that my our youngest child, Tom, was born. I was lying in bed. It was about two in the morning and Emma came in. It was on my birthday at two in the morning. She said to me, Greg, I think we need to go to the hospital. The waters have broken. You know the first thought that ran through my mind? I thought, I bet that means I'm not going to get my birthday present now. <laughs> like, I really am that shallow. <laughs> I really am that gifts driven. God here is the perfect giver of gifts. God does not hate you. God is not stingy. God is not wanting to rob you. God is not vindictive. He's not callous. He's not careless. No, God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. And so even the thing that seems like a horrible trial, 
even the thing that you think, I would never want to go through this, I'd never put anyone else through this, is a good and perfect gift from God. Why? Because up in verse 2 following, it leads us to the most good and perfect thing, perseverance and maturity. And that's actually the most precious thing in the universe, isn't it? To be like Jesus is the most precious gift in the universe. To be patient like Jesus is, to be loving like Jesus is, to be pure like Jesus is. And God is such a good and perfect gift giver that He will give us trials in order to get us to that ever, that most beautiful and perfect state of being mature like Jesus. And He will always do this for us. Because the, the fourth thing about Him is He is unchanging. See verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. That phrase, God is the Father of the heavenly lights, it's, such a, it's kind of enigmatic, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, the heavenly lights are the stars. And the thing about the stars is, the stars are unchanging. The stars are the things that you navigate by. The stars are the things that are entirely trustworthy. In Jude, in Jude 13, Jude talks about false teachers as wandering stars. Because sometimes navigators and sailors would be led astray because they thought they were navigating by the stars, but they're actually navigating by a planet. And planets do move, don't they? Planets shift and change. God is the father of the heavenly lights. The things that are so stable that you can navigate your whole life by. If the stars are unchanging, how much more the father of the stars? How much more can you trust the father of the unchanging heavenly lights? God will not lead you astray. God will not abandon you. God will not prove faithful one day and unfaithful the next. God is not like us. Our view of God changes according to our circumstances. When He's good to us, when we feel like He's being good to us, we love Him. When we feel like God's letting us down, then, then we're disappointed in Him and we get angry with Him. We blame Him. Our view of God changes according to the circumstances, but God's love for us is unchanging. God will never be anything to you but the giver of good gifts. God will never be anything to you but the unchanging faithful father of the heavenly lights so god is good god cannot be tempted god only gives good gifts and god is unchanging the last thing james shows us is you see this best in the fact that god is the father who saved us have a look in james uh, chapter 1 verse 18 he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What is the best example, the best proof that God loves you and that God will always be your generous and faithful father? Well, the fact of the gospel. The fact that God is not our tempter, he's our dad. And that God gave us birth by the word of truth, not lies like Satan. Satan tells lies, but God gave us birth through the word of truth. The ultimate example that God can be trusted is the gospel itself. God has given us new birth by this gospel to be his people. 
Now look, all of this is so helpful for now, isn't it? Because we are in a season of trial. We're in this season of difficulty and, and what we really want is to be out of it. How does this passage help us? Well, what this passage says is during this season, don't blame God for this. Don't assume that God is in the wrong, that God is being callous, that God is being cruel, that God is indifferent, that God wants to hurt us, that God has cursed us. And definitely don't use this whole situation as a reason to sin. Don't use this as a time when godliness is something that you can put aside and I've kind of got an excuse now to do whatever it is that I always wanted to do. Now, now is the time to run to your dad to run to the Father of the heavenly lights, to run to God and to trust Him as the unchanging giver of good gifts. In fact, now is the time to say, God, what is your purpose for me here? How are you using this trial to help me to persevere and to mature? How are you working on me here, God? How are you raising me as, as your child? God, please show me those things those two paths we talked about. One path leads from blaming to sin to death. The other path says joy because God is at work in this to make me more like him. Let's embrace that. I can't wait to see the kind of people God turns us into through this whole period of time. I can't wait for us to praise God the first time we come back together and to say, isn't it fantastic, not just to see each other, but to see what God has done. Let's ask God to do exactly that now. Let's pray. Our great God, you are the good, untemptable and untempting Father of the heavenly lights who only ever gives good gifts and who has given us new birth through the word of truth. We thank you that we can trust you. We pray that during times of trials, we won't blame you. We won't accuse you of leading us into sin. We pray that we would know ourselves better than that and that we would see that sin is in our own hearts, not in yours. And we pray that we would know you better than that. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to choose the right path here, not the path of blaming and sin and death, but the path of joy and perseverance and maturity in Christ. Please do your work among us. We are so grateful to you because you are so good. Amen.